Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Avery After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Avery Ross, and I hope you all had a really great 4th of July weekend. It's hard to believe it's already July, but here we are. I hope you spent some time with friends and family, or maybe you just enjoyed the weekend to yourself, which is always really nice. I myself love getting some alone time. I want to thank each and every one of you for your kind reviews on the podcast. I read each and every one of them. And you all mean so much to me, so thank you. Today's episode was one of the most highly talked about cases of the 90s. A housewife in Long Island opened her front door one morning, only to be shot by an unknown assailant. Who did this? Why would someone do this? This case was actually the inspiration for the 1999 film American Beauty. And for good reason, it's a doozy. Today, we are talking about the infamous case of the Long Island Lolita. In 1992, Mary Jo Buttafuoco, her husband Joey, and their two young children lived a very picturesque life in Long Island, New York. They had the home in the suburbs, the white picket fence. Mary Jo and Joey met in high school. The two really took to each other. Joey was the class clown, and Mary Jo was described as a sweet girl that came from a nice family. The two dated and later got married, and Joey supported the family by working at his family business, which was his father's auto body shop. Mary Jo was a stay-at-home mom to their two children, a boy and then a girl, and Mary Jo stuck with Joey through some drug addiction problems and later rehab, and the family really grew into a pretty strong unit. They lived a very comfortable and quiet life. That was until the morning of May 19th, 1992, when everything changed. Mary Jo woke up and got the kids ready for the day as Joey left for work. The kids got on their bikes to head off to school when Mary Jo's son, Paul, turned around and walked back into the house to his mom. Mary Jo asked her son, what's wrong? And he said, I don't know, I don't don't know, something's not right. As moms do, Mary Jo told her son, everything's okay, and to head off to school. The kids left, but in hindsight, it's clear to the family that Paul had an intuition that something was wrong that day. Mary Jo goes about her morning. She has a bench to paint in the backyard, so she busies herself with that. And at around 11.45 a.m., Mary Jo hears the doorbell ring. She looks through the house and sees out the front door window. Standing there was a teenage girl, it appeared. Mary Jo walks up and opens the door and says, what's up? Parked in the street in front of her house, Mary Jo looks out to see a male sitting in a car waiting and assumes that the two came together. The teenage girl asks, are you Miss Buttafuoco? Mary Jo says yes, and then the teenage girl says, I'm here to tell you that your husband is having an affair with my little sister. 
Mary Jo says, little sister, how old are you? She's shocked as this girl looks pretty young herself. The teenage girl says, I'm 19 and my sister is 16. The teenage girl then whips out a t-shirt with Joey Buttafuoco's Auto Body Shop's logo on it and says, here, I have proof. I found this in my sister's bed as I was making it. Mary Jo is a pretty sassy lady and says back, you make your little sister's bed and notices the teenage girl is starting to get a little bit of an attitude. The girl says her name is Anne Marie and Mary Jo really doesn't know what to do with this information. Mary Jo asks her where she lives and the girl starts mixing up her information about street names and Mary Jo realizes that this girl is lying. The whole conversation had gone on for about 15 minutes, and so in an attempt to end it, Mary Jo said something along the lines of, well, I'll tell Joey you came over, and thanks for stopping by. Mary Jo then turns, and that's when the teenage girl pulled out a gun and shot Mary Jo in the head, walks back to the car, and drives off with the mail, leaving Mary Jo for dead alone lying on her front doorstep. Neighbors heard the gunshot, and police are called almost immediately. Joey is called, and the two kids are pulled out of school. A helicopter was used to transport Mary Jo to the hospital. When she arrives, she's still alive, but doctors find the bullet had hit Mary Jo's carotid artery and was lodged in the base of her brain by her spinal cord. The prognosis was pretty grim for her, And Mary Jo's family thought that if she didn't die from this, that she would be paralyzed. Mary Jo goes into surgery for seven hours, and doctors find that the bullet was in such a place that it couldn't be removed. She survives the surgery, and a day later, Mary Jo miraculously wakes up. She opens her eyes and has no idea what happened to her. So, this story hits the media, and the news reports of a mysterious shooting in Long Island was the talk of the town. A woman shot in the head on her own doorstep. People almost instantly thought that this must have been a home invasion or a robbery gone wrong. After coming to and having her family and nurses explain her injuries to her, Joey, her husband, asks her, who did this to you? Mary Jo starts to remember, but... With tubes down her throat, she couldn't talk. So she writes a note. 19-year-old girl, Anne-Marie, auto body t-shirt with logo on it. So right off the bat, the t-shirt was telling. Joey realizes that this was a new logo in design and that only one of these t-shirts had been given out to a man named Elliot Fisher. Elliot was a customer at the auto body shop, so police get into contact with him and realize that he has a teenage daughter named Amy Fisher, and police start to put two and two together. Someone brings in a photo of Amy Fisher to the hospital and shows it to Mary Jo, and she confirms that that is the teenage girl who shot me. But why would this teenage girl want Mary Jo dead? They tell her that her name is actually Amy Fisher, not Anne Marie, and Mary Jo says that she doesn't know this girl, but Joey does. He said he knew Amy through her father, and she brought her car into the auto body shop. Joey said that he had done work on Amy's car recently. So now knowing that Amy would be familiar with Joey, police ask him to call her and get her out to meet him. 
Police tell him to say something along the lines of, hey, my wife has been shot. Can you meet and talk with me about it? He calls and gets Amy out of her house. Amy gets in her car where police pull her over and arrest her. Amy Fisher is 17 years old and is brought in for questioning. For 12 hours, police interrogate her where she lies and denies any involvement. Police have Mary Jo IDing Amy, and they also have the t-shirt as evidence tying it all together, so they are fairly confident that they have their shooter. But the media gets wind that someone has been arrested and are present for the infamous perp walk, and it's safe to say that everyone is shocked at who is arrested. This teenage girl in denim cutoffs that honestly looks like a kid is the shooter, The media and public are blown away. And then comes the headline of all headlines. Amy Fisher is dubbed the Long Island Lolita. The media goes into a complete frenzy. They see this teenage girl shooting this housewife with ties to the husband. Everyone is thinking affair. And Lolita is an English term from a 1955 novel. It refers to a young girl that's precociously seductive. Focus turns on Joey Buttafuoco, as he is the only one with this connection to Amy. Amy Fisher was an only child and got a car at 16. She began getting into accidents and fender benders, and her dad, Elliot Fisher, started bringing the car into Joey's auto body shop. Elliot reportedly told Joey that if Amy came in with any accidents, just fix it and send him the bill. And supposedly, Amy started coming in with a lot of bang-ups to her car. It becomes pretty obvious that she was doing this on purpose so she could bring her car into the shop and see Joey. Amy and Joey started a flirtation that grew into a full-on affair. And remember, Joey was 36 and Amy was 16. Yuck. Amy claimed that the first time they had a sexual relationship was one month before she turned 17. She was considered a minor under New York state law. But Mary Jo nor the kids had any idea that Joey was involved with another woman, let alone a 16-year-old girl. And while Amy is telling police about this illicit affair, Joey is flat out denying it and telling the police, his family, and the media that Amy is just a customer and is a flat-out liar. Mary Jo returns from the hospital and comes home just trying to recover. She is extremely frail. Half of her face is drooping from the gunshot injury, and it's a full-blown media circus outside their home. And now, just a quick word from today's sponsors. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 
So the media is running with this story, the affair, Amy and Joey, how did this happen? Joey is telling the media that he didn't know why Amy would do this and that Amy was really just a customer. He denies any involvement. And Amy is switching up her story as well. She told police that she did go there that day, but that she and Mary Jo actually struggled over the gun and said that it accidentally went off. Amy Fisher's reputation is being discussed, and every day, more is coming to light. It comes out that Amy had ties to an escort service. There was a sex tape. Police have two men come forward and tell them that Amy came to them months before and tried to recruit them to help her kill Mary Jo. She told them that she was dating an older man and really wanted to get his wife out of the way. In fact, months before, on November 1st, 1991, it's revealed that Amy and one of these guys, named Stephen Sleeman, drove to the Buttafuoco's house and rang the doorbell. Mary Jo answers, and Amy is standing there and told Mary Jo she was selling Halloween candy for charity. Mary Jo just says, okay, sure, fine, thanks, and closes the door. During this, the plan was for Stephen to take a shot at Mary Jo that day, but he said he couldn't get a clear shot. Amy got really upset with him after this and said, fine, I don't need you. Police asked Mary Jo about this visit, and she did remember it and couldn't believe that that was Amy. She had no idea. Shortly after, a man named Peter Guaginti, Amy's driver that day, is arrested in connection with the shooting. Amy met him in Brooklyn recently, and the two conspired to work together to kill Mary Jo. The day of the shooting, Peter picked up Amy, they drove his car to the Buttafuoco's home, and he handed her the handgun. He was ID'd that day by neighbors from his car at the scene, and he ended up getting a reduced sentence and only got four months. So Amy is really the one that they have their sights set on. Her bond was set at $2 million, and during this, her attorneys are painting her as a victim. She must have been manipulated by Joey. She even came out and said that Joey asked her to shoot Mary Jo. But Joey continued to deny any affair or any involvement, and Mary Jo believed him. She said that Joey swore up and down that he was innocent and she stood behind him. Amy ended up taking a plea deal. She pled guilty to assault, which was reduced from attempted murder, and Amy received 5 to 15 years. Mary Jo was incredibly angry and was still in so much pain from the shooting. She spoke in court at Amy's sentencing but was relieved that maybe this whole thing was over and she could put it all behind her. But people weren't done with this story. There were three movies made with stars like Drew Barrymore portraying Amy. The media wanted more of this case. And Joey went on a tour to clear his name. His reputation had been trashed, and no one really knew why Mary Jo couldn't see that her husband was a cheater and a liar. Joey does interviews, he keeps talking about the case, talking about Amy, and eventually gets himself indicted. An employee at the auto body shop came forward and confirmed that he had knowledge of Amy and Joey's affair, and Joey is charged with six counts of statutory rape. 
He got six months in jail and a fine and was released after he served four months. And during this, Mary Jo continues to stand by Joey's side, shockingly. Through her struggles, depression, and overall pain, Mary Jo ended up entering the Betty Ford Center for Substance Abuse and Addiction to Opiates and Alcohol. And it wasn't until Joey was arrested for soliciting a hooker in Los Angeles that Mary Jo finally ended the marriage and started to see the kind of person that she was married to. Hallelujah, Mary Jo, finally. She now knows that Joey did have the affair with Amy, but she maintains that she still doesn't believe that Joey had instructed Amy to kill her or was involved in the shooting in any kind of way. She believes that that was all Amy's doing. Amy Fisher was later released after seven years in 1999 and later got married. So you think maybe that would be the end of this case? Nope, there's more. The Buttafuecos started having some financial issues. They moved from Long Island to L.A., and Mary Jo said that Joey blew all of their money on bad investments and bad deals. So in 2006, Mary Jo, Joey, and Amy Fisher reunited for a TV special for Entertainment Tonight. The reunion was basically just them screaming at each other, and it was a hot mess. Mary Jo and Joey admitted that they did it for the paycheck, but they say they regret it, and in hindsight, I bet they do. It was trash TV. Amy Fisher went into the reunion saying that she wanted to heal and move on from the entire ordeal, but bizarrely in one of those episodes, Joey and Amy were kissing on camera and saying how much that they have always loved each other. The whole thing was just really gross and weird. Amy Fisher is now a webcam girl and divorced. She has since come out and said that she has no sympathy for Mary Jo, and Mary Jo believes that Amy doesn't have any remorse for what she did to her. The case and trial became a media circus, and it really seemed like the family could never get back on track to a normal life, and a lot of that seems like it's because of Joey Buttafuoco. Nowadays, Joey said that he is now healed, and he has a life coach that guides him, and he says that he's in a better place. Mary Jo and her two kids, on the other hand, believe that Joey is a sociopath. I believe they now see how Joey manipulated and lied, and from an outside view, I think we can see how much Joey's bad behavior and actions attracted so much chaos and pain into his family's life. Their daughter said that she has battled addiction issues and trust issues, and their son chooses to go by a different last name entirely and wants absolutely nothing to do with any of it, and I don't blame him. Mary Jo has said in interviews that she believes Amy Fisher is a narcissist, and I think we could probably all agree with her on that one. This whole case was such a spectacle, and I hope that Mary Jo and their two kids, who are now in their 30s and 40s, can eventually heal from it all. To me, this case is such a testament of how much damage narcissists can do. I myself have a narcissist in the family, 
and I have to take breaks from this person. I'm in the midst of a break right now as we speak. They can really leave you feeling so low and depleted and getting those kinds of people out of your life and as far away as possible is the best advice I can give. Narcissists love chaos and fighting and manipulation and man does it feel good when you're out of their storm. And I know a lot of you out there deal with this or have dealt with this personality type and can attest to what I'm talking about. I know you all get it. Just know that I am right there with you in solidarity. As always, make sure you're following Avery After Dark on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I'll link all those below, so go and give them a follow. I appreciate you all so much and hope you have a great week and looking forward to next episode. Bye, guys.